Welcome to Patchwork. Before we get started, we want you to know that in this episode, we discuss gender-based violence. The content might not be suitable for all ages, and it might be upsetting for some listeners. If you or someone in your life is struggling with these issues, please know that caring and helpful people are available right now to support you and help guide you to safety. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-7233, and they can also be found online at thehotline.org. Today we're joined by Tony Loudon. He's the Executive Director of the Federal Interagency Council on Crime Prevention and Improving Reentry at the White House. Tony, thank you for joining us, especially during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Bob, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here today. Thank you for the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Uh, You know, one of the main goals here at OVW is to engage men as active partners in the effort to stop domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, and stalking. I'm eager to hear how you address these issues of domestic violence with the men you counsel. But first, I'm really curious about what you're doing in this role uh, with crime prevention at the White House. Tell us a little bit more about that first. Well, one of the things that um, the president has chosen me to do is to help organize the Interagency Council on Crime Prevention, where all 17 of our agencies are working together with the Department of Justice to look at ways of how we come up with crime prevention and preventing men and women from going back and forth in our prisons across the nation. And so we've been working collectively. In the past, we've all worked in silos, and this is an opportunity for us to have uh, Health and Human Services, Department of Labor, Department of Energy, Department of Justice, Department of Agriculture, all the federal agencies working together to move the needle. As you know, Bob, we've been talking about crime prevention, criminal justice reform, uh, prison reform, uh, reentry, domestic violence. We've been talking about those issues for decades. We haven't been able to move the needle. And so to be able to get all our agencies working together, change the communities, make communities better, safe policing, stop our pipeline from going inside our facilities with our youth and our children. That's the best way to do it. It's one of, it's, I call it smart government, making government work. And so in the past few months, I've been traveling all around the nation, even during this pandemic, meeting with uh, individuals who are doing some of the greatest work around the country, as well as looking at ways of how we replicate those best practices to keep men and women going in and out of our prisons. I, I can tell you this, I'm excited about the work that we're doing across the nation. When you can take crime prevention, Department of, uh, of HUD, Department of uh, Labor, and Department of Health and Human Services, along with the Department of Education and others, and, and strategize to change these distressed communities across the nation, I believe crime will go down. I believe we'll stop men and women from going in our prisons and our communities will change. Our communities will will no longer have the violence that you see in so many of our communities. No longer have our children filling up the pipelines and our juvenile justice system and then entering into our prisons. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Let's dive into domestic violence. That's obviously a a problem that cuts across all demographics across the country. Um, It affects all communities. When you are talking to men and engaging men um, in this area, tell me a little bit about um, uh, some of the discussions you've had uh, working with folks to reduce domestic violence. One of the things that I tried to share with them is the collateral consequences. I had the opportunity to go down to Florida where there was 
a program called Children of Inmates. And it broke my heart to see these children whose parents, in some cases, are doing life in prison. And this program connects, reconnects the children with their parents who are locked up in prisons. And every now and then you hear one and talks about that my father's in prison for beating up on my mom or murdering my mom and or, or vice versa. And it breaks your heart to see the children crying there and they want their parents, but because of domestic violence and because of our laws, they can no longer have that complete whole family. I share with them what it was like growing up as a kid into a domestic violence situation that I grew up in. Watching my mom be beat by several men and watching some of those same men abuse my sisters. And then being a child and calling the police on the man that was beating my mom and then get a beating for calling the police. I talk about how this cycle must end because if not, then the children end up repeating that same cycle. And I talk about the fact that they should have this accountability that if they don't want their children to be displaced and raised by government, or if they don't want to be able to have to try to raise their children from behind bars, this is something they have to take a personal ownership in and be able to change the directions of this whole domestic violence and uh, own up to what they're doing and get help immediately if they're involved in it. How does that, I appreciate you sharing that that personal story, that's um, it's very heavy to hear. How does that um, how does that impact the folks that that you're dealing with? That makes it very real for everyone, I would imagine. I think coming from them as a man and looking them directly in the eye and saying that there's some responsibility that they are um, that they are accountable for what they're doing and their actions, and that the only way this is going to change is that they're going to have to leave and to get help that they need so that their sons and their daughters don't grow up in that same situation. Um, and then I, I get real with them. How would they feel if their, if their daughter married someone and thinking that domestic violence was the way to go? If they had a boyfriend in high school and thinking that domestic violence is the way to go? Not tell them how, how, how easy it could happen to their daughters because one in four women uh, experience violence in their, in their partners, in their relationships. Uh, one in four women are sexually abused before they're 18 years of age. And would you want that whole situation to be on your daughters? And I try to make it personal and hit them right where the things that they care about the most. And you can see a light bulb come on. If you're incarcerated or if you're on what's called probation, you can't be around your family. Imagine this male who's not able to protect his children who may go through similar things with other relationships that may develop outside in their communities. And a light bulb comes on. Once that light bulb comes on, do you have tips for them? What, what are some practical things that they can do or what advice do you give them? One of the advice I ask them to look at ways to try to diffuse whatever situation they're going through. But more importantly, get help. That's the most important thing. There's so many different programs out there that you can go and get help and be able to address your anger issues or your situations causing you to explode. You know, we hear all the time that domestic violence goes up when there's Super Bowl or a big game or something like that is taking place in our country. But this pandemic is one of the reasons why I believe that it's very important for me to bring it up even more because everyone's feeling this pressure of being locked in, inside the house, people losing their jobs, and so many of folks take this out and not know how to respond with it by ways of anger and fighting 
and, and domestic violence. And that has to stop. So I give them those tips of one, look for ways to get help, look for to get spiritual counseling or leave the situation if you think you have to leave after dealing with violence. Leave the home and make sure that your children are not a part of that. How does that go over with them? Um, sometimes that advice doesn't sound very manly, right? There's a masculine macho kind of reaction. Um, tell me tell me what it's like talking to folks and getting them to see things a little bit differently in that way. I think a lot of them are really starting to see it, Bob. I really do. Because this situation has been highlighted and I share with stories of men who are doing time in prison for doing life because they murdered um, their loved one. I share with them uh, young kids whose lives have been taken because of domestic violence and jealousy. I share with them about young kids who have been sexually abused um, because of domestic violence and things that have grown up in, in their lives. And right away, it, it clicks um, so that they can understand that they need to get help. This is a very important situation, a very important topic that we can't sugarcoat and continue to allow it to hide. Um, during this pandemic, our uh, assault cases have went up. I would li like to add this, you know, there's a lot of times you have to be direct when you're talking to men about it. You have to talk to directly about them, about extreme jealousy. You have to talk to them about isolating family and friends, uh, and needing constant uh, uh, excessive text message and calls to those people. You have to talk to them about um, showing fear and anger around a partner. Looking at you have to talk about those unexplained injuries uh, and that you can't explain that you're inflicting on your family members. You have to talk to them about that. or intimidation. You have to talk to them about that because some of them don't realize that this is not normal the way they're growing up or the way. I mean, they may think this is something normal. This is a thing that they grew up in but it's something abnormal. It, um, I pause because it's, it's very troubling to think about the people who are out there uh, in a stressful situation and uh, may need some resources uh, yes. to, to get help. Um, so I, I just want to remind folks again that there are resources available right now, all 24 seven. Uh, I hope people will reach out and get the help they need. When did it shift for you? It was as you as you shared. You you grew up with it, so it must have seemed normal to you uh, up to a moment. When when do you recall that um, the light bulb went off for you? I think the light bulb went off for me, um, Bob, the moment that um, I took a beating with a braided extension cord from my mom mm -hmm. because I called the police on a man that was beating her, and then I realized this is not normal. This is not something that. Um, uh, any child or any mother should be growing up in. And I realized that the reason my, my mother was going through this, she thought this was her way of survival. Growing up in the inner cities and the ghettos and, and, and a, what we call a trap house or a bootleg house or drug infested house uh, during that time, it, people thought it was normal in, in those inner city communities. It was a normal way of life. And somehow as a child, I knew it was wrong. I wish that they had these reporting agencies back then when I was a child. Mm. Now they do, they have more agencies that you can report those instances to. But I grew up watching it, but I knew it was wrong. And I used to say to myself as a child, I never want to live like that. And so uh, I, I thank God for this uh, uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. But let me tell you something, we need this every day. Yeah, yeah. I well said, and and I, as you're speaking, I I wonder what the 
uh, how we can engage men so that maybe the neighbor, the friend, someone who's aware, someone who hears the noises, um, you know, how can we engage men to play an active role uh, if they're a bystander, if they're aware of this and they have a friend who is, uh, is reacting uh, with violence? So we have to report and we have to hold those people accountable. We have to offer help and we have to get them resources. Then we got to be able to support our friends and families. We have to talk about it in churches. We have to talk about it in all the denominations of churches because some churches have this where the man is ahead and the woman is should be submissive. And they teach that so wrongly. Uh, we got to get to the point where we'll be able to get all these resources in different platforms, not just on social media, not just on the internet, but down to the level where we can educate those folks where women and some cases in men can go get help from a domestic violence situation. We can't stand around or just make an awareness for one month. I'm advocating that domestic violence is something that we should treat just like a pandemic, or just like a pandemic on drugs. The same way we highlight opioids, we don't just do that one month. We fight this every day of, of, the, of the year. And we have to do the same with domestic violence. I agree with you, and that certainly is what we try and do every day at our office. So, and and I know that we support folks across the country who make this their daily mission to be there to help folks in their communities. So, I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, has I wonder you you talk to so many different people in so many different settings. I wonder if uh, there's been anything that's been inspirational or given you hope in some of your conversations. It has, Bob. There's been a lot of things that have given me hope. I was down in Boca Raton, Florida, um, where I met a woman who was homeless, who was on the streets. Um, she was she was had been beaten. She had been in the prostitution. Um, she was in a domestic violence situation, and the way for her to escape was to be homeless. And there were people, a church, a Methodist church, that came alongside of her and helped her. And I got her clothes and put her in a protective situation in it helped her from her drugs, to try to change uh, what I call her peas, her playground, her playmates, uh, her playthings, and more importantly, give her a purpose. Now, all across the country, I'm starting to see nonprofits address this issue of domestic violence and putting families back together whole. I think that's so critical that we have to do. But more importantly, we have to give people spaces and places to be able to hide and be able to get help from this situation because they need timeouts. And a lot of times we, you know, our, our court system because of this pandemic and no bail crisis that are taking place across our nation where men are not getting locked up um, for domestic violence, zero tolerance is not zero tolerance anymore. We gotta look at ways of being able to address this right up because it only takes one time for domestic violence situation to become permanent where someone dies in that issue and we have to be able to look at ways of providing the resources i'm hopeful because they're addressing it in prisons now i was in missouri and there was a uh the department of correction is talking about to men on how to change their behaviors and how to integrate with their family and their children um what what does it look like to be a man of a household without trying to control it in a way with violence and intimidation. I'm, I'm hopeful that, that people across the nation are saying, you know what, no more of this, it has to stop. And so I'm excited in, in my space where I am, 
uh, working with Department of Health and Human Services, working with uh, Department of, of Labor and Department of Justice, we are making this a platform. We have to, because if we don't, we're just going to repeat the cycle. And then when another administration comes, we're going to do the same thing, that it becomes on the back burner. It has to be a priority. And as long as I'm the director of this interagency piece, it'll be a priority for me. I appreciate that very much. Um, you know, one of the questions we got from our one of our listeners recently was, uh, what, what can we do as average folks out here to help? We're not a provider, we're not in the justice system, but we're, we want to we want to do something to help. What what would your answer be to what the average person can do to help engage men in this in this important topic? I would love to see a lot of um, churches and nonprofits across our nation that have small groups uh, monthly to talk about this issue and bring awareness to it. Because you know, in some communities, there's a stigma. No one wants to talk about it, right? And it's like mental health in the African American community. No one wants to talk about it, but it's there. And the only way we're going to be able to uh, deal with this darkness is to shine some light on it and let people know what they can do and how they can stop it. More importantly, talk about that this is something that we just can't tolerate in our society. We got to look at ways of being able to uh, sit down and talk and be able to identify those issues right away and then show people how to get help. You know, I think the biggest thing that, that in, when I was growing up as a child, um, I saw some of my sisters get involved in relationships that was wrong for them, mirroring relationships that my mother had with several men. Mm. We've got to be able to break those cycles because this process will re be repeated if the children think this is something normal. And we we got to highlight it. We got to let everyone know this is not what marriage looks like. This is not what relationships look like. And too often in these distressed communities, uh, there's no mirror, there's no image or model of what good looks like. Tony, I've heard you talk about the four L's before. Tell me about the four L's. The four L's is important. I think it's something that we can apply in this space. Because that is, that is being able to get into round groups and round tables across the nation and nonprofits and churches, all those community leaders, including our uh, servant leaders, our, our politicians, to be able to listen. And not only that we listen, but we listen to what's going on in our communities, as well as to learn, right? I think that learning process goes both ways. And then to be able to lead in this space. If we can, if we can listen, learn, and lead in this space and find out what's going on here, how to prevent domestic violence across the nation. But more importantly, we do all those three L's and then we can love. I encourage people all across the nation is to take, if you want to know what you can do to help, listen to the communities, listen to what's going on in our communities, listen to those women who may be going through domestic violence, find a way to learn from them and how you can help them. But more importantly, lead in this space. Don't just listen and gossip. Don't just learn about someone's problem and pass it on to a friend underneath the table, but don't do anything to help them lead in that space so that you can help them. And if you listen, learn, and lead, you can show them how much you love them by helping them. Tony, thank you. I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, Bob, thank you so much. The work that you guys are doing are absolutely crucial for our nation. And we got to do more of it and highlight more of it. And anything that I can do to help amplify it, you can always call on me in my office. And thank you for listening to Patchwork. 
Let us know what you'd like to hear on future episodes by emailing us at patchwork at usdoj.gov or just give us a call at 202-307-6026. Please help us expand this conversation by sharing this episode with others. Thanks for listening.